Hello once again, your wonky and affable host Ryan Rodriguez here for the Bonus Chronicles. Little morsels of informative nonsense exclusively for you lovely subscribers here on Patreon. This week on the podcast, or last week for you, we discuss the southern fried throwback to Atomic Age monster movies, Squirm. And today, we're continuing further into the filmography of Squirm writer-director Jeff Lieberman with his 1978 follow-up, a fascinating and unique paranoid political thriller called Blue Sunshine. Strap in, pop a tab, lose your hair, maybe maim your entire family, and, most importantly... Well, it's time to make America good again! When Blue Sunshine was released in theaters in 1977, viewers had the enviable opportunity to walk into this film with a tabula rasa mindset, free from preconceptions and spoilers. The narrative benefits greatly from knowing absolutely nothing about it, but as an independent production, it had a very short theatrical shelf life. It was seen by most viewers on television, where the biggest twist in the movie became the easiest way to sum it up in a few words, most notably in TV Guide. So if you want to know nothing more and experience one of the strangest films I've ever seen ignorantly, the right way, go to Shudder, the premier horror streaming service, and watch it. If you don't have the service, get a free trial. I'll wait. Okay, let's get weird. We begin in 1972 with the single most noteworthy conspiracy of the decade, one that became a suffix for all hush-hush political boondoggles to follow, the Nixon White House's unsuccessful Watergate complex break-in. The stooges who executed this literal hack weren't competent enough to follow through on their objective, wiretapping the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee, which makes the break-in admittedly a minor event. But when journalists Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein of the Washington Post start pulling at threads, aided by CIA snitch Mark Felt, a.k.a. Rimjob, sorry, Deep Throat, the resulting reporting led to the indictment of 69 people. Nice. Most of whom were in the Nixon administration. It was a paradigm shift. As the deeper Woodward and Bernstein got, more of Nixon's dirty tricks were illuminated, eventually culminating with the analysis of archived audio recorded in the Oval Office itself, which led to the president resigning rather than face prosecution. That tape revealed that Nixon, who had used every press opportunity to strenuously lie about his involvement with the conspiracy, had in fact ordered and helped orchestrate the whole event. Sound familiar? Probably not, because elected men have clearly stopped using their power to nefarious clandestine effect. This event clearly shook up people's faith in the system knowing that the difference between the mafia and the government is a presidential seal, and inspired a wave of trust-no-one cinema, where suddenly the idea of a cabal of elected officials and the cronies they subcontract was plausible. Filmmakers tapped into that disillusioned suspicion, one could even say exploited it, and used it to breathe relevant life into an old subgenre, the paranoid thriller. Protagonists unravel vast right-wing conspiracies involving shadowy organizations, nefarious civil servants, and widespread deception. 
no one could be trusted, and the truth is uh, just outside the vicinity. Some of the films that resulted are all-timers. The Day of the Jackal, The Parallax View, Three Days of the Condor, Marathon Man, The Conversation, Soylent Green, All the President's Men, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Winter Kills. As the decades wore on, filmmakers found new wrinkles to goose the audiences with. After all, if they're lying to us about something as boring as political partisanship, what else are they hiding? Aliens? Black helicopters? Lung cancer? Radiation? In 1977, Jeff Lieberman tapped into this zeitgeist and was the first to suggest more genre elements on top of the trust-no-one mentality for a sci-fi horror movie crossed with a paranoid political thriller, the ultimate intersection of chocolate and peanut butter. Two great tastes that taste great together. Blue Sunshine. 1967. Doctors and scientists predicted it. Blue Sunshine. Did you ever hear the words Blue Sunshine back in school? Jerry didn't do this! One man must solve the mystery. The victims. Wendy Fleming. Divorcee. Wendy! Blue Sunshine. John O'Malley. Lieutenant Los Angeles Police Department. Blue Sunshine. Franny Scott. Photographer. Hey, wait a minute. Blue Sunshine. Wayne Mulligan. Campaign manager. Blue Sunshine. <laughs> Dr. David Bloom. Kelly. Resident surgeon. Give me a sponge. I said a long instrument. 1977. The nightmare has begun. Blue sunshine. It could happen to you. Seemingly normal American citizens are suffering psychotic breaks, turning on their friends and family and savagely slaughtering them. In addition, their psychotic breaks are accompanied by complete hair loss. A random bystander named Jerry Zipkin, played by future soft porn magnate Zalman King, flees a party after the host kills all the other attendants, and the police believe that Jerry is the killer. When he learns that this was not an isolated incident, he investigates further with the help of a few close friends and begins to get to the heart of what turns out to be a political conspiracy. We, the audience, are kept in the dark along with our protagonist, so as Jerry follows the trail of other bald psychotic killers, Jeff Lieberman injects his film with a palpable sense of unease and fear. Jerry seems to be in the midst of his own ambiguous mental breakdown, which could be a connection to those doing the killing, or completely unrelated. This is enhanced by the presence of Zalman King, who looks like a young Sean Penn or a sad, slightly off Marjo Gortner, and has this squinty, disturbed look, like someone who's either about to start crying or start pulling his hair out. This weird sense of de-equilibrium sets in early on during a trip to the murder scene as Jerry scans an abandoned house soaked in trails of blood and corpse outlines. Visually, we only see the aftermath. Instead, we hear the murders, and we're unsure if these vocalizations and sounds are real or in Jerry's head. The sounds are so visceral and upsetting that a scene in which nothing graphic physically happens becomes the scariest thing in the entire film. A 
About an hour in, we discover that the bald killer's unique pathology is the result of being dosed with a new form of LSD in their college days, Blue Sunshine, and the man who dealt it to them is now well on his way to getting elected into Congress. Because everyone affected by Blue Sunshine quickly ends up dead after taking victims, Jerry needs to find a living dose so they can be tested for chromosomal damage. His target is the campaign manager of the Congressional Hopeful, whose psychotic break occurs at a rally inside an indoor mall. Once the threat is incapacitated, a text epilogue, not unlike an episode of Dragnet or the single silliest moment of Unbreakable, reveals that he tested positive and that 255 doses of blue sunshine are still unaccounted for. It's such a true crime spin on things that several news outlets have described it as based on a true story. It's not. Lieberman was prophetic in envisioning an American politician with drug connections having no problem gaining the respect and support of a supposedly conservative party. But what I find most impressive about this film is that this accidental prediction seems to be relatively low on the director's list of concerns. Lieberman has so much on his mind in Blue Sunshine, and he executes his concerns in such a bold way. As a filmmaker, he's learned how to establish a directorial style, a knack for composition and pacing, and superb sound design. Squirm is well shot, but aside from a certain close-ups of evil worms, it doesn't feel like anything that influences peers. Blue Sunshine is a level up, more confident and intricate. There are frames that can stand side by side with the most iconic films of the decade. Political commentary comes in the form of nightmarish campaign posters with ominous slogans that are part fascist and part supernatural. And clearly John Carpenter took notice because there are direct parallels to the exceptional work he would demonstrate a decade later in another arguably more brilliant genre-bending paranoid thriller, They Live. Lieberman's genre-bending takes inspiration from the Atomic Age sci-fi movies of the 1950s, where our first real encounters with radiation are exacerbated into analogies involving giant nuclear lizards or ants the size of cars. That's obviously not how radiation works, but we didn't know that at the time. We were afraid of some existential invisible threat. The masterstroke with Blue Sunshine is in the way that Lieberman takes something very much in the national conversation, hallucinogenic drugs and the counterculture, and tackles them in the same fashion. As someone who had taken LSD many times, as far as I can tell, and remained sane, he ironically applied the same paranoia for his film, but also chose to keep that sense of irony strictly subtext. As to why the victims of dosage are bald, he explains this in the audio commentary on an outstanding Blu-ray release this past year from German label Camera Obscura. Was at its height with the hippies. That's why I did it. You know, I could have said that, well, you take this acid and uh, your nose falls off. I don't know. But I instinctively knew, if you're talking about the 60s generation, what's the worst thing that could happen? I mean, they had a Broadway show called Hair that defined the entire generation, right? Mm -hmm. So the opposite of that is bald or losing your hair. Mm -hmm. So that, I remember thinking of that like, boom, that's perfect. Perfect symptom because your hair is your hippie, you know, what is uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash? I almost cut my hair the other day. Right? Yeah. That's the song. Blue Sunshine is like a shotgun. The barrel packed with horror concepts, his own history with the counterculture, propaganda, paranoia, and subversions of various genre tropes. Because it's a shotgun, some pieces of the resulting blast land outside the target and may do more damage than necessary, but the potency of the fragments that hit the mark can't be discounted. Got to hold the baby with both hands. You gotta let her down, slow and steady. 
you got to squeeze the trigger. Don't jerk it, because if you jerk, it won't work. One last thing. I first saw this film through, let's just say, extra legal means. I now own it, so I don't need to feel anxious about admitting this, but I do want to share the unique experience that I had. The file that I watched was corrupted, meaning that the picture would randomly pixelate and freeze at times, different frames of film bleeding into each other with a weird psychedelic fashion. While it was discombobulating at times, it may have been the ideal way to see this film for the first time. Although I've never taken LSD, I would like to think that it was a comparable experience. My advice to you? If you have a DVD or Blu-ray copy of Blue Sunshine, scratch it up with your car keys before popping it into your player. If you're watching it on Shutter, first scrape your HDMI output through some rough surfaces, maybe put some sawdust into the port. You can thank me later, preferably after you yell at me for ruining your home theater system. It is on that note that this week's episode of The Bonus Chronicles comes to an end. Thank you for keeping this little cottage industry alive through your patronage. Next Tuesday on the podcast proper, a discussion of the original Mystery Science Theater series finale, Danger Diabolic, the end of which signals a new era for this podcast, moving into the legacy part of the history and legacy of MST3K. Of course, you already have access to next week's episode here on the Patreon feed, but you knew that. Next Friday, the 1st of October, will spin off from the recent deep dive into Experiment 1011, Horrors of Spider Island, with another episode of The Chronicles Reconsidered. Because Severin Films just put out a Blu-ray for the film, one that includes the original uncut version. Is it in fact a German monster porno with all the penetration cut out, as I presumed? You'll have to listen to find out. Until then, take care, and thank you for being a subscriber. Darn, that's the end.